I think my mic has been muted. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, sorry. I just realized my, my mic was muted here, so we're going to restart. Uh, it was locally muted. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, but uh, so let me reintroduce. Uh, Derek is a lead scientist. Totally fumbled at the one there, yard line there. Uh, he's a lead scientist uh, at the University of Minnesota uh, and uh, used to work at the World Wildlife Fund. Derek reached out to me a uh, couple of uh, about two years ago almost. And uh, please let me know in the chat if you can hear me now. Um, but uh, and he is a board game sustainability engineer scientist type of guy. And we talked for about an hour and a half a couple months ago on the phone. So I'm super excited to have Derek on long story short. And uh, and also Marty, we've decided is the uh, the head squirrel. <laughs> so, OK, everybody can hear Needs me. some title. Yeah, it needs a title. So uh, Derek has actually been in contact with uh, a handful of uh, board game publishers, some big and some small, I believe. I, we haven't actually talked in, in a couple of months about where you're at. Yeah. Um, but uh, I figured uh, I'll let Derek go ahead, let you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself and a little bit of the work that you've done and the research. And then Marty and I will probably interrupt you with questions. And uh, I will, I'll kind of monitor the chat as well because I'm kind of a science dork. So this gets that kind of stuff gets me excited. Um, and, uh, so I'll, I'll just let you get started and then we'll jump in. We'll have a little Falcon and Winter Soldier chat, maybe at the end here, but, uh, uh, welcome to the channel, Derek, and thanks for joining. No, thanks, Joel. It, it's been, you know, this is like a dream come true. I feel like I'm, uh, you know, in the presence of greatness oh, no. to, uh, to the Titans <laughs> in the industry in terms of, uh, I'm trying to lose weight. <laughs> At least you got the longevity. I've been doing it for such a long time. It's been a part of my, uh, you know, uh, education of board games. And I think Joel, when I first reached out to you a couple of years ago, it was probably around a, a recommendation, possibly around uh, Warcry and 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 me getting ready to to jump into Warhammer. Mm -hmm. And you've been pushing it so much uh, recently then, and uh, how much you loved it. And uh, and so I I could definitely say that the plastic in this room has increased over the past couple of years, <laughs> probably directly related to you. Um, but it's been great, but it, but it definitely uh, ties into the sustainability conversation in board gaming. My, my uh, background is, uh, you know, I, I did uh, biology, ecology, uh, graduate school, and uh, started, you know, doing uh, work with WWF, the World Wildlife Fund here based in uh, Washington, D.C. And so I was uh, a scientist there for seven years, and I was a scientist working with WWF's private sector engagement team. So I was one of the few scientists working with others at WWF trying to en engage big corporations and typically, you know, Fortune 500 companies uh, around, you know, improving uh, the sustainability of the products they sell. And and I got to see uh, behind the cover or behind the scenes of of how those decisions are made, the different concerns that are, are raised. Uh, and so I left WWF a couple years ago uh, and came uh, came back here to St. Paul, Minnesota uh, with my family. We we decided DC was a little too crazy uh, to raise a family and uh, and started to do that back here in, in St. Paul where my wife is from. And uh, I took on a, a research scientist position here at the U, University of Minnesota. Uh, I'm in the Department of Applied Economics and uh, a fellow of what's called the Institute on the Environment here. Um, 
but my job is kind of similar to what it was at WWF. I still engage with similar uh, actors in terms of corporations, uh, primarily around agricultural commodities and those supply chains. And you know, part of my my science thing is is to is to understand what are the you know future impacts of different sustainability options or alternatives, and think about what are the multiple benefits, you know, whether it's improvements in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions or improving uh, the water quality uh, outcomes of producing a, a particular item or a particular, in this case, corn or soybean or other commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we do a lot of modeling in my lab and a lot of uh, looking at future scenarios around different solutions. How do we design those solutions to be the most effective in terms of the environment. And with that economic edge, we're also trying to think about how to do it in a cost-effective way. So uh, it's been a lot of fun, uh, but, it, but after engaging with Coca-Cola and PepsiCo and, 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 and you know, Targets, you know, I, I started to look at this room I'm in, which is a 10 by 12 game room. It's, it's pretty packed with probably about 300 games. And, and uh, I started to think about that footprint and how I hadn't really looked at, you know, what's sustainability in this hobby? And, and obviously there's a footprint in terms of the cardboard and the wood and the plastic right. and what are we doing as a hobby? So that's why I kind of, you know, set me off looking at some of the, uh, you know, reaching out on my own time to some of the board game publishers uh, uh, and got to talk to some folks at Asthma Day in Europe that are in, in charge of supply, uh, Panda uh, and, uh, Let's see, uh, leader game. Okay. And so I got to see, you got to have a few little conversations uh, with what folks are doing. But uh, I would say that it's, uh, you know, sustainability around the environment is coming to our hobby. Um, it's being driven by uh, consumers, you know, and cons- customers like ourselves. But I think moreover by, um, uh, you know, our hobby moving into more mainstream uh distribution outlets or big box stores like Walmart and Target right. who are requiring okay. uh, those companies to do that. And I, and so anyway, that, that got me interested. What What's going on and what's happening? Okay, so that's interesting. You, like a Target, for example, might require a ticket to ride or some game that's coming in there to be have uh, components and manufacturing processes that are sourced in, you know, kind of a quote-unquote green manner. Yeah, a Walmart and a Target, they, they've, you know, this is where a WWF, the sort of ecosystem fits in, but an NGO kind of comes over and puts a little bit of pressure on those large, uh, you know, buyers like, you know, and, and, and stores like a Target that has a very you know, consumer facing entity and, and start to say, you know, you need to be, what are you doing around these issues? And, right. And both Target and Walmart have, uh, you know, taken on a scorecard basically for, uh, those products coming, you know, that they're buying to sell in their store, but it's a pretty high, high level kind of cursory, not necessarily what's the impact of your board game, say on carbon or water or those kind of things, but, it, mm. but it's more like, what do you have in process? Are you starting to think about uh, assessments? What are you doing to mitigate if you, if you know you have these particular impacts, but it's quite high level, um, but it is putting some pressure as you go into, you know, to sell in those markets. Uh, Kickstarter also uh, just recently uh, introduced a new policy that uh, 
every Kickstarter has to uh, publish a environmental impact statement on their page. Really? So, okay. so that's something that, yeah. So if you're going to do a Kickstarter, you have to do it, you know, you have to, you know, on your page, uh, your landing page have a, you know, a link to your environmental impact statement. Uh, so Panda Games is getting a lot of requests from obviously board game publishers that want to have information around, okay, what elements of my board game in terms of the plastic, the cardboard, how are we addressing one source plastic, you know, single source plastic, mm-hmm. that kind of thing that what, what they can put in the, in the statement. So those are two big drivers. Sure. For our hard hobby, anyway, having Kickstarter in those big box stores. So you mentioned. Go ahead, Marty. Go ahead. I was going to say, just just out of curiosity, if you talk to the publishers and stuff, I'm sure there's a lot of things that they can do uh, to reduce their impact. But what are some low hanging fruits that you can suggest to pretty much anybody say, hey, if you want to start somewhere, this is probably the easiest thing that you can do right off the bat? Um, yeah, I mean, in our hobby, probably the 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 easiest thing would be the, you know, reuse, which we do a lot. And I think, um, you know, reusing our products, you know, a lot of us probably can't remember the time that we threw away a board game, uh, but we may get tired of it and, and sell it to someone or give it to a relative. So part of it, you know, reducing the waste, uh, you know, that sort of end use of it. And that's something that, that gets pretty, that's pretty manageable. And I, I think our hobby is, is kind of, uh, you know, our culture kind of works that way. Our norms are, you know, we're, we're kind of anti-throwawayers. So I think there's a lot of reuse. Uh, reuse. Um, I think the opportunity to to try to repurpose, you know, some of these, you know, I mean, I'm looking at, I don't know, my recent Cloud Spire. And I, of course, I had to upgrade to these fancy chips. So I got like these extra chips. So what do I do with those? And so, uh, you know, trying to think of, you know, what a three-year-old can do with those chips or trying to find other uses for them. Um, but I think as far as consumers, I mean, it is a consumer hobby. You know, it's the the, the challenge between wanting a, a deluxified edition, which of course has the bigger footprint, but it has all that, you know, kind of collectability or what we, you know, want when we, you know, because these are things that we're keeping, these are games we're keeping and, and treasuring. Um, I, I think as a customer, a consumer, it's a, it's a little difficult. I think part of what, our role might be is getting a little more comfortable uh, with how the games are packaged, maybe our expectations uh, around uh, how a board game is packaged and what we receive. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, one of the biggest, uh, and it's probably because it's most visible is actually the shrink wrap on games. So that's something that, you know, all of us have, you know, had that shrink wrap come off. We think we threw it away and it shows up somewhere later down the line. Um, it's something that can't be recycled. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, energy to, you know, it, it's kind of like the cosmetics of, uh, fruit and, and pesticides, you know, the pesticides keep the fruit looking pretty, keeps the shelf life. And in a sense, shrink wrap provides all those types of benefits to our board game box, uh, and the contents in it. So there's, you know, there, I would say within the publishing community or within, uh, the manufacturing community, uh, Single source plastics have been, you know, a, a big issue that they want to, or single use plastics have been mm-hmm. a really big issue in the pack, uh, in the components of board games, or the packaging of board games. That's what they see as a low hanging fruit to, to address. And so they're looking at, you know, uh, what do they call them? They're like the little, uh, you know, wafer seals uh, that you'll see on. I know, like horrified over here that, and, and Rosenberger does this a lot on their right. Prospero Hall. 
uh, Funko Verse, when you buy them at Target, they'll have, they're not shrink, they have the little, so like Panda's trying to look at, you know, these wafer seals and they're getting to the point where, you know, trying to understand are people cutters or are they poolers? And if they're poolers, <laughs> they don't want the box to get ruined. So there's a lot of uh, you know, some, you know, R&D that has to be done. Um, but it's also, you know, the expectation, I guess I come back Marty that our expectations in a sense uh, with the deluxified and, and the fact that we're, we are, you know, more and more moving towards, you know, almost all the games are sort of a premium product, um, mm-hmm. you know, compared to, so back in the first days of Catan. So um, there's a trade-off there uh, that I think everybody's trying to figure out how to, you know, how can we have our cake and eat it too? But it's right. um, a challenge. Yeah. Well, I know, I know, John. You, I just one last comment. I know one thing that could be done. Hey, a uh, Fantasy Flight Games, get rid of that valley insert in all your oh, games, yeah. and you'll. <laughs> everybody just throws away anyway. <laughs> no kidding. Yep. No kidding. Yep. I mean, that's that. That's like half a joke, but I mean, I know you're serious, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's for sure. Nobody uses that thing. Um, so before we, there's a couple of questions actually coming in the chat. I wanted to circle back to one before we talk about materials a little bit more. Um, you mentioned earlier that the NGO was putting pressure on like a Target or a Walmart. Can you explain what the NGO is? Oh, sorry. Okay. okay yeah. A non-governmental organization. Okay. So a non-for-profit, non-profit. Okay. I see. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Nonprofit, special interest groups, you know. Uh, okay. That makes sense. And then kind of a follow-up on that was what's your kind of experience about Amazon? And, you know, are they, do they have any kind of, you know, processes that they're trying to implement or at least to publicly have they acknowledged this kind of thing? Because, I mean, they sell everything as well as like a Target or a Walmart. Um, is that something that they get engaged with? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Amazon just recently, uh, through their foundation, gave something like, you know, $800 million out, maybe a billion dollars out. And almost on average, about two billion, uh, $200 million went to, you know, a WWF got this, uh, the Nature Conservancy, I think Environmental Defense Fund, and a couple other NGOs. And it was Amazon, you know, very similar to a Coca-Cola or Target or Walmart we mentioned before, or several other corporations. But, uh, you know, giving those donations to those big non-governmental organizations whose mission is to, you know, improve uh, environmental. And and I think they even have donated some social outcome groups as well. Um, You know, that's one way uh, a company will engage is is through uh, philanthropic you know, through their foundations. Uh, you know, WF also would work, you know, directly with an Amazon or another company to actually look at internal decision-making around where they source uh, upstream uh, with their commodities. Uh, in the case of Amazon, I know there's been a lot of recent engagement by NGOs to, to address their, you know, moving towards an electrified fleet of delivery vehicles as a way to address, mm-hmm. um, potentially address, emissions and uh, in terms of pollution and, and greenhouse gas emissions. Um, you know, that, you know, Amazon though, in the board game hobby, uh, they, you know, we just talked about plastic shrink and I guess I can mention directly, uh, you know, Panda mentioned that Amazon requires plastic shrink. Really? So they're not going to let you, you know, so that's a big, that's going to be a big hurdle 
if that's you know your entry point right <laughs> and given like you just said joel amazon's such a big part of our uh distribution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh for a lot of consumers that don't have local game stores or etc to to get those games especially today. well that's an interesting uh comment there about the shrink wrap because my suspicion is that amazon wants the shrink wrap because they have such an issue with um you know, I don't want to say this, but the integrity of their products that come through there. I mean, there's a decent problem with board games and counterfeiting. And so anything that would could be like opened and resealed in a way. I mean, not that you couldn't do yep. it with shrink wrap, but, you know, any kind of leaning towards that end where you're like, well, they could just open it up and then retape it. And you don't know what you're going to get. So they probably have to deal with that end of it as well. That's interesting, though, that they would have that. Um. Yeah, and there's other, there's other. I mean, Haba has been making some very strong uh, stances as well mm-hmm. uh, around around shrink wrap. I still think shrink wrap is kind of a visible thing, but um, you know, right now our the the industry, um, you know, they're feeling pressure around sustainability. I mean, we we saw in our our hobby, you know, around diversity and inclusion and and mm-hmm. and you know, major shifts in terms of the the themes that are coming out in board games now, as well as just our community in general, right. anybody went over to board game geek uh, lately and, and land on the main page can, can tell that we're, we're quite different uh, as a culture, you know, as a, as a community than we were a couple of years ago. Sure, sure, for sure. Um, and I think sustainability around environmental and these social issues, they're feeling it, um, you know, where Panda's having webinars now uh, to talk to, you know, they're talking to, you know, publishers, not consumers. So they're getting a lot of, you know, interest. So I think it, it's coming down the line, but it's very nascent. It's very new. Um, you know, when you talk to a panda, they're really just, you know, you know, they basically said if a, you know, if a, a board game publisher comes up and says, what can you give me for sustainability? Mm-hmm. You know, really all they can say is like, well, maybe we can do those waffle seals. Um, maybe we can try to optimize the punch board where we get the most, uh, out of it, um, or we can, you know, instead of shrink wrapping all the cards, it's another area where we have a lot of shrink wrapping on, on packs of cards. You know, we can use these, you know, paper buns that go around, um, mm-hmm. or plastic bands, you know, single plastic bands. And that's really all they got to offer. Um, so, so it's quite, quite nascent. Now there are Ludifacts quite different. They, they've had a history of, of, of being a little more sustainable and of course, Ludifax, the other, another European-based uh, manufacturer that produces a lot of, you know, right. that does a lot of the board yeah, games. Yeah, just to inter- uh, interrupt you for a minute, in case somebody doesn't know, yeah. you know, uh, Panda tends to manufacture most or if not all the Kickstarter games. And a lot of the newer companies use them as well. They don't necessarily have to use Kickstarter. But Ludifax, they'll publish a lot of the games you find that it would come out at Essen, typically. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. Hans and Gluck and uh, uh, Spielworks and I don't know, a whole bunch of those, you know. So, yeah. So, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to make sure people kind of know. No. Yeah. Uh, and and Ludifact, it could be, you know, because of the, the longevity. And they prim- primarily on paper comp- components, but they've been, uh, you know, kind of ahead of the curve for a long time, offering us what, what we would say uh, Forest Stewardship Council certified mm-hmm. uh, paper products. So that means these are forests uh, and, and paper mills that have been certified under uh, 
FSC or the Forest Stewardship Council, which makes sure you know they're having third-party verification around uh, the environmental practices they're taking in terms of how they're logging and the impact that's having on uh, local communities, uh, as well as the workers in those mills or on or in right. those forests. Uh, so, so that's that's something that Panda's not addressed at all yet. Is sort of a uh, around the the idea of different uh you know more sustainable uh materials coming in i mean they they actually mentioned just you know recently their factory in china just got two electric power uh forklifts i can't imagine being a worker in a a bunch of gas powered fork inside a a warehouse but um but yeah that's that's just some of the (laughs) so everybody's at a different stage and i think it's at its infancy in our in our hobby a little bit right and and you mentioned uh you know, the forklifts, and there's a couple of comments in, in the chat here about the whole kind of, I'll, I'll just call it the pipeline or the, pr- the production pipeline is, uh, you know, you, you have the materials. So if you take Ticket to Ride, you've got the, the board, the cards, the plastic trains, you know, pieces of cardboard and stuff like that. Uh, and then you've also got uh, like the shipping container. Uh, somebody mentioned that uh, GMT uses this, was it soybean? Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, there's a certain kind of packing peanut that they use, um, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole like process of not just the, you know, the physical components, but the actual machinery and the whole, you know, worker process and the machining process. So you mentioned shrink wrap. Well, there's the shrink wrap itself, which is plastic, but it's also like, what is the machine that's wrapping the cards or the box and what's that running on and that whole sort of underlying ecosystem, um, Right. And uh, yeah, there's like a, a complete life cycle analysis. You could, right. you could definitely keep spinning the, the, I did try to draw up a, a life cycle assessment or try to drive the, draw the life cycle of the board game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, once it goes from pre-production, you know, you got play testing and you got some you know, very, you know, the sort of, you know, uh, materials you're using then, but, probably the big footprint is the actual production where you're uh, you know, the materials coming into the system in terms of, yeah. you know, where the wood is sourced, where the paper is sourced, uh, you know, our plastics are still primarily oil-based plastics. They're PVC. They have, you know, they're, they're, they're tough to work with. They're uh, in terms of a environmental health mm-hmm. issue. Um, they're oil-based again. Um, and, and then, uh, and then you, you have the issue with microplastics throughout that entire process. Uh, and then, you know, you have potential water impacts when you're doing cardboard, you're using a lot of water, a lot of wastewater going out. So there's a lot of, you know, in, you know even though our industry is pretty small, mm-hmm. um, if you zoom into these individual places where they're having to produce these goods uh, at a pretty large scale, at least rel- relatively speaking, there can be a sizable local impact. And of course, then you have in that process of production, you still you have the workers uh, in terms of human rights issues, labor issues. Mm-hmm. That's part of sustainability. And of course, once it leaves, uh, you know, the Panda factory, then there's the logistics of transportation. And luckily, you know, shipping things on big container ships is pretty efficient uh, in terms of environmental impacts. It's a it's a, a pretty great way to go. And then of course, once it comes in and, and all the UPS trucks, and we talked about that earlier, the opportunity to yeah to mitigate those outcomes. But of course, once it comes into our home, we kind of have this embodied 
environmental impact at our table. It's really great and these awesome minis. Right. Um, and I think that's where, and a lot of companies keep saying like, well, we're, our, I mean, Panda says, well, you know, they kept saying it constantly. You know, our hobby is just different. We we keep our stuff. We don't, it's not disposable. We're not right. just getting rid of it. So really our, our impact isn't as bad, you know, because we're, we're not throwing it away. But I mean, eventually these games are going to, you'll probably be thrown away yeah at the um, and, and you and i actually talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of months ago because that was my thing as i i was kind of playing devil's advocate which i don't always like to do but sometimes i got to do it um and i my my thing was kind of two-pronged was like if you look at the stuff that we get like you look at a kickstarter game and you print you know three thousand copies or ten thousand copies and theoretically you're going to hang on to those for a while or trade or sell them or give them away or something and so that it's not going to go into the garbage. So, um, but you're right. Eventually everything is going to end up in the garbage to some degree. I mean, it just is. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. But if you look at, we were just talking before the show went up, it, like look at all the old Candyland games or the old Monopoly knockoffs. Mm -hmm. Like those are, there's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of those that have ended up in the landfill. Um, so it's an interesting kind of dynamic there. If you, when you're tr looking at weighing the impact, it's like, okay, this thing has a huge impact, let's say, and, but we only made 10 of them and the, the 10 that we made are still around and they're still being used, or at least they're sitting on a shelf, you know? Um, right. so that's kind of an interesting sort of juggling act. Whereas this may be like a copy of Monopoly doesn't really have any impact, uh, component wise, but there's a billion of them and nobody plays them. Um, yeah, so I, I think that you're definitely right. I think they're, you know, I, I've engaged uh, with Hasbro mm -hmm. a little bit and, um, and Mattel. And, and these are companies, right, that, you know, they make toys. They make a lot of, uh, you know, item mainstream games that, that are often disposable, uh, definitely have a shorter shelf life at home than, than our games. Um, but they have a very, you know, mature, it's still you know, uh, you know, there might be a little skepticism of how deeply integrated it is, but they have a very mature sustainability, uh, you know, team internally. Of course, they're much larger, they, you know, in terms of what they're doing, but, you know, they're, you know, probably any of our board game manufacturers or publishers could go and look at, uh, you know, it's publicly available on Hasbro's website, but you could, you know, you can see the writing on the wall, what Hasbro is having to leap through, uh, you know, in terms of sustainability issues, right. um, and these, if you're going to, you know, especially for asthma day, if they're going to play in the bigger, bigger arena, um, and those, those companies, you know, it, I think I bought my first Hasbro game in a long time. The other day, I, I got a, uh, guess who game from has from, uh, I think Hasbro makes has guess who I think so. And I was appalled at the quality of the card stock. I had to put this <laughs> thing together and it was, and it probably was trying to be more sustainable. I would say there was probably, you know, a little more sustainable elements, but almost just, you know, it, it was almost made to be thrown away or it felt like it was, you know, it doesn't have that heirloom. You know, I, our family, I remember guess who being so, you know, pretty solid or Candyland having really good, you know, having, it never had great card stock, right. but now the card stock was literally, it was a super thin punch board. Mm -hmm. And these cards are just bending as soon as I punch them out and they're calling them cards, but they're in a punch board, mm -hmm. uh, for Candyland. And, uh, now granted it's being designed for, for that, 
you know, for a different audience, but it does raise your question of like, you know, you can have a, a more sustainably produced game, you're producing a lot of them and then they're just getting thrown away. Um, I don't know if those games can be recycled. Uh, maybe some of them can. I mean, that's another um, part of where you say consumers or could have a, a role to play in our hobby would be if we did throw things away, could we recycle? Unfortunately, a lot of the right. components outside of the, the empty punch boards, um, there's not a lot that, that we recycle or can recycle in our hobby. Well, that was kind of a, the next question I wanted to talk about is if you look at any of these games, um, what can be recycled? So cards, I assume cards, cardboard can be recycled whether you're talking about the punch board or eventually if you did throw out the game, uh, you know, the cardboard could be recycled. Um, I know, for example, we're talking about miniatures earlier, the miniatures I get from games workshop. Uh, I, my local place says they recycle plastics, but there's so many different kinds of plastic. Now I take the sprues, you know, that the miniatures are sort of connected to when I'm done snipping them out, I throw them in the recycle, uh, been uh, but you know i'm not super sure because you know like a milk carton is one kind of plastic shrink wrap is another i i don't know that um we my local you know landfill or whatever is actually recycling everything that i put in there because i've talked to people and they said well I, we don't recycle plastics here at all it's only like aluminum and glass or some places don't even do glass but um yeah, it's not as widespread. Yeah. So it kind of depends yeah. on where you live, I guess, and what your facility is is up to doing. But then, didn't we share an article or something like that with? I think I shared with you. You shared with me about something, and it might have had to do with the pandemic. Was these places are actually stopped recycling plastic because of? I guess I can't remember, but you might have some more insight there. Yeah, I mean it. Um, yeah, re there's been some places where recycling is becoming less. Uh, mm -hmm. Common, you know, um, and uh, that there's always the issue of just the access to to recycling. I think I did scour a few uh, blogs uh, for Warhammer around recycling their sprues, and I got I think the conclusive answer is that they're not recyclable, okay. but or at least in mainstream. But that they did say, and I don't know if it's true. I never talked to a, a, a one of their own stores, a Warhammer store, but that they will take sprues back oh. um, and they must have a process where they can recycle it. I mean, typically the challenge is, is that it's so much cheaper to just produce to not, you know, just to produce mm -hmm. the new uh, plastic than to invest in recycling it. This is the case with Legos. Um, it's way cheaper to make new Legos than for them to collect, you know, uh, you know, the, the old ones and recycle them and use them. And of course you also lose some of the integrity mm -hmm of that sort of virgin plastic. So yeah, so recycling um, isn't so hot in our in our plastic. Often a lot of the plastic, especially like resins, even if it's plant-based, some of the new resins, it still has, you know, usually another, uh, you know, compound in it like silica or something uh -huh. else that, that makes that process difficult. I see, yeah. That... Yeah, so our plastics aren't so easy to, to recycle in our right, algae. Right. Well, I will say, right I will now, say, uh half jokingly you can recycle sprues and make terrain out of them but you, you, only, you only do that so much after a while you don't need to do anymore um but uh well, well there is this there are cardboard constructibles uh which is a term in the industry now that are being used instead of plastic uh for terrain and different things i think the new descent that came out 
uh, utilize a lot of these cardboard constructibles, which is, which in a sense is having a game within a game. It's a little meta there. It's just trying to put those things yeah. together. But uh, yeah, I don't think that's actually out yet. But yeah, that's another yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, but there there is actually some. If you're talking about terrain, uh, there is some great terrain that's come out. Uh, I can think of uh, Metromorph, uh, which is currently sort of in between print runs, and uh, what's the other one? Oh, there's another one there. They, they make cardboard terrain, which Games Workshop used to do, and, uh, and yeah, it's great stuff. Especially with like the new screen printing technologies, it's it looks super detailed, and there's all these cool pieces of art on it. You don't have to paint it. And you can break it down super easy or super flat and then build it up pretty quickly. So as far as terrain go, that's pretty cool. Um, now you mentioned the uh, resin on a, a miniature. What about like 3D? Do you know anything about 3D printing? And uh, in, you know, like the, there's the PLA printers and then there's the resin printers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't, that's fine. I just kind of popped into my head about... No, no, I know, I know a little bit about it. And I just hear... Uh, there's been some questions about you, you know, 3D printing. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, part of it at any at, at scale is, is not very. It, the technology still isn't there, and it's it's very, um, you know, the time time constraint. Right. Um, you know, how many how long it takes to produce four miniatures, you know, that uh, through 3D printing versus, you know, more conventional means is is uh, is pretty far, uh, pretty big oh, differential yeah. still. Um, and uh, and the the challenge is they still have, you know, there's still some pretty wicked chemicals that you're you're using uh, if you do 3D printing at home, and especially if you're doing resin, yeah. um, you know, there's you're you're pretty, you you know, you're you're pretty decked out um, with like a hazmat sort of setup, um, and, and that's another you know aspect with the plastics too is that, you know, they're always, you know, off gassing and and resin actually you know part of the challenge is that it has bigger poly you know because basically plastics just are breaking down over time right and they break down into the environment and we hear a lot about that in in terms of marine systems and oceans and we often think of you know all the coke plastic bottles washing up on an island or the island of 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 bottles plastic bottles but it's really the journey of that plastic before it gets to that island in terms of the ingestion and animals and uh, and also the byproducts of making plastic, a lot of these microplastics that are quite small, we don't even fully understand how you know they bioaccumulate. I forgot actually, Tony. Uh, I was just going to bring uh, him up. Oh, <laughs> uh, did did highlight how much how much plastic might be in our bodies right now? It could. I don't think it's equivalent to this big guy here, but um, but when I got this big guy, this is when I knew I had a problem first, and yeah. then this is when. Uh, it did make me real, and I haven't painted Joel, but you've given me inspiration um, to get one day. Well, to get well there. don't start um, on him. <laughs> Just pick something smaller. No, no, no. I've been doing other ones, but I haven't got to this one yet. <laughs> but um, but when I got this thing and took it out, and as the it stunk, um, you know, my room smelled of this really strong plastic. Huh. Like that's probably not healthy. Um, <laughs> and my wife could smell. And I had to like set out in the garage to wow. air out, but it made me think about cumulative. I mean, every box in here probably has, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a portion of his arm or something of plastic in it. Uh, but that's just, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, like, am I silently killing myself by my hobby right. as I sit in this room? Um, but that's another aspect, you know, with the plastics, um, and they're getting a lot of, you know, attention. But some of those, 
you know, there is opportunities with plastics to shift to non-oil-based. I'm not, I haven't done the research to know if they have, you know, less of an off-gassing off potential health impact, but uh, we call them bioplastics or plant-based plastics. Um, and sugarcane is one of the main proponents mm -hmm. for that. Um, and like Lego made a commitment uh, at least to be, I think, 100% bioplastics uh, in the next 10 or 15 years. And they're relying on a, a global certification platform called Bonsucro uh, to have sustainable sugarcane bioplastics. So there is some, you know, but I don't think, I don't think in our hobby we can translate the plastic that goes into a, I don't know how useful the Lego plastic is for what we're mm -hmm, doing mm -hmm. in our hobby. But that there is some, you know, where people are moving that way. Yeah, the Lego. So I would be have a conversation with Games Workshop about, or, or a CMON right. about, Come on, sorry. More <laughs> uh, about the miniature and plastic. Yeah, the Lego plastics are probably too hard. The even even though like yeah. the GW stuff is relatively hard compared to like a Descent or Come On, it's still pretty soft plastic. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the Lego one's probably too hard. But I was just gonna say, I think the reason that thing stinks is for theme because it's uh, <laughs> they might have coated it with something so that it. Uh, it was thematically smelly. Anyway, um, yeah, it definitely smelled like death or something for sure. Yeah, but I know I can. Smell, I mean, I can smell my games. I mean, I, um, I mean, it. Yeah, and so yeah, but it is. It is. There is definitely. I think resin miniatures are a little more dangerous than what they off gas. They're bigger particles that stick in your lung a little bit more. Yeah. But again, I don't know the. You know, I don't want to freak anybody out because it's not clear. Right. You know, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Tony, you need to have yeah, to be negative. right. I know Tony Topper. I can't remember. It was a couple of episodes ago, I think, where he said, "I think we consume about two teaspoons annually of microplastics or something in our food." Uh, I, I, somebody'd have to go probably listen and get that back. It, like when it, he, he says it, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but then it says like, "Well, if I ate that like all at once." I don't think I would keep it down, you know, it'd probably, uh, probably spit it back up or throw it back up or something. But, uh, yeah. So it, it's an interesting thing, but I mean, yeah, it's something that's really tough to think about and, uh, and quantify when you get to that sort of microscopic level. Um, uh, there's a comment in the chat here that talks about sniffing the, the board games. And one interesting thing is, you, you know how sometimes, and Marty can back me up on this, you get like an LCG or a TCG or something, and some of them have just like that that great smell, <laughs> and it must be the ink or something that they use there. And I don't I don't know if either of you guys know anything about that, but because sometimes you open up a game and it just there's a certain smell that some of them have, and I wonder if that and I I happily like ingest that. I'm like, ooh, it's that one smell, and I'll just I'll just like take a deep <laughs> deep breath of it. And I don't know, maybe I'm doing the bad thing. I shouldn't be yeah. doing that. Yeah, I'm starting to get Tony's. I'm starting to get a little bit of Tony's phobia on that, where I'm, I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be breathing those. That might be my, just cut off five years. Um, we used to no, say when I I, we started our show, uh, yeah, I was always addicted to open like packs of cards and smell it. We said it smells like a rainbow, <laughs> and it still does. Well, I can say that uh, on inks, varnishes, and glues, there's, there's a pretty strong movement towards either soy-based or water-based. So that's that sounds like a uh, part of the hobby that's 
you know, a, a better alternative that's been adopted pretty widespread now. So, so it, I don't know when they implemented more soy-based inks, but I imagine there could be a smell difference yeah. when that happened. So between that and bioplastics, we can now eat the pieces <laughs> as we play. Yeah, I, I, you know, even though it's made out of sugar cane, I don't, I don't think I'd call it candy, huh. but, uh, but yeah, um, they're going to still be mixed with something that's, that's probably not too great. <laughs> right, it's not going to be a hundred percent sugar. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a derivative of that. Um, yeah, I, I mean that it's it's. I think what I took from my, uh, if I can just you know sort of summarize my what I took from speaking yeah. to the different publishers is, and the fact that the game manufacturers, and we could take more questions, but just uh, I I think. It, it's pretty obvious that it's new to them. Um, the requests that they're getting to uh, either, you know, spell out what the impact of the different gaming components or materials they use have on the environment. That those are new questions. Uh, like a panda was pretty upfront that they don't know the answers. Um, they, you know, they're limited on trying. You know, they're basically, you know, have a team that's called the Green. That they have like a the green initiative or something like that it's it's a inside team that's just you know spending you know part of their time you know they're 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 project managers but they're spending part of their time uh on the clock trying to research alternatives learn about alternatives and so it, it's definitely a new space uh i think it's gonna you know it's it's only gonna increase uh, but i think they're at a set of, you know, they're at the journey right now where I think um, there's, you know, they're trying to get a handle on it um, in terms of how to respond. And I think some of these immediate issues that are highly visible, like mm -hmm. the plastic wrap, um, plastic on cards, you know, almost everybody was much more focused on these sort of in, in you know, single-use plastics, these sort of uh, things that there might be some easy easy things to address with, but no one's really, uh, you know, very few folks are, are sort of addressing what I would say the upstream impacts of uh, that occur regardless whether we keep our games or throw it, which is just, you know, really in the production, uh, both in the materials that come in in terms of the wood, the paper, uh, the production of the cardboard, the production of the the minis, and and both the social and environmental impacts around that part of the industry. Um, I think that's probably where the biggest footprint is. And it's obviously probably where the biggest costs are to try to address it. Um, so it doesn't surprise me, you know, that they're moving, you know, kind of cautiously, they're mm -hmm. seeing the low hanging fruit. They're also seeing things that are quite visible. Uh, they're more, they're more obvious perhaps to, to address. Um, I mean, Panda just, uh, and it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm applauding it, but they, you know, their big initiative recently is to plant a tree for every 2,000 games mm -hmm. they produce or every thousand game they produce. So they, they have this, you know, plant a tree and they're working with, uh, you know, tree planting organizations as a way to, I think, offset their right. greenhouse gas emissions. So, you know, there, I see elements of, you know, what these big Fortune 500 companies that have, uh, you know, much more of a history in the space. And I just see our hobby, uh, even though it's small, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be pressured if it wants to continue to grow. And I think Asthma Day will be a bellwether for that 
but to, you know, if there's going to be a different system a couple of years out, three years out than what we see now in, in manufacturing. I think, I predict. I, I think it's going to get a, a louder drum as we go along. Well, Derek, I mean, just to take a break from the questions for a second, uh, I mean, I, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate you like doing this investigation and everything. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, I just I don't speak for, for Marty or anybody else, but like as a media person, I see a lot of discussion a lot of times on like a social media or certain things like that. And I don't really know what to, how to assess it or gauge anything. And, you know, because I'm definitely... Like I said, I'm a kind of a science nerd, but um, I do like enough other science in my day job that when I get home from work, or so to speak, theoretically, uh, my brain doesn't really want to try to, you know, problem solve any more than it really has to. And uh, so I really appreciate that you, you know, this is your 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 life's work and, and you're turning your lens on board gaming and stuff. And I'm I'm super happy that you agreed to come on here and talk about this and and share yeah, I know, and well, share the, the uh, you know, what the publisher shared with you, and I'm, and I'm, I'm grateful for them for, for you know, having at least, a, you know, it's it's definitely one thing that they're doing some steps, like you mentioned, but they're at least talking to you and allowing you to ask them questions, which is a good first step at, of all by itself, really. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I just wanted to say thanks for that. <clears throat> yeah, no problem. Oh, thank you. Um I think it's just, I think it was interesting. I was thinking about this about how uh, the video game market and board game market are doing the inverse of each other. So, video games, remember, used to come in plastic cartridges with boxes and manuals. And then over the years, they went, you know, mm -hmm. the manuals were gone to CDs to digital distribution to where the video game industry impact is getting less and less. But as board games grow, just because of the nature of what the hobby is, it's going to have mm -hmm. a bigger impact than what video games do. And there's not really a, a correlation. It's like, well, they can go the path of what video games did because you can't do like, OK, you can do digital yeah. board games. But, you know, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like just mm -hmm. interesting. Those those two uh, industries have like crossed each other. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, that's a good point, because you have here like cloud gaming kind of around the corner. Um, so there won't be any media. You won't even need quote-unquote physical disk space locally it'll be in the cloud somewhere mm -hmm. um granted there'll probably be millions of servers making some kind of impact but um but the board game sure. industry as i think derek kind of mentioned earlier and i think we'd probably agree is leaning more towards the heirloom uh collector's item pro product that takes up you know the individual game takes up even more of a footprint than it did before. So it's, it is really leaning mm -hmm. towards the other side with all these Kickstarters and everything. Yeah, I will say on the positive that there, I think it, at least, you know, a lot of my work is looking at raw materials and commodities and, and the opportunities to improve the environmental outcomes of those and social outcomes and, and still produce things from those goods. Um, I think there's, there's definitely an opportunity for us to still get a deluxified game that has a reduced footprint. Um, it's not zero, mm -hmm. but we can reduce it. I think part of it uh, is going to take some, you know, some courageous actors that can, that have both, you know, the probably the, you know, it probably is you know, potentially an asthma day or someone that has the, the financial space to take that jump um, 
and kind of lean into that. I mean, they do have some micro, you know, some of their publishers under uh, use 100% recycled paper. I think, uh, I forget which publish, there's like a publisher or like a, a game brand under Asmodee. There's so many of them, but I think it's called something Green Games, but it has green in the title. And all of their products, they use 100% recycled uh, paper. But I think there's a, an opportunity for the industry to learn and, and they can definitely, we can definitely minimize our, our footprint. I guess I don't want us to feel like this because we have deluxe side games and all these components that, you know, we should kind of ignore trying to do something. Um, I think we need, you know, we can keep calling out and, and requesting like, okay, it's great. We got plastic. It's great. We got paper. We want to, we still want those things, but how can we start, you know, getting them produced smarter? How are you going to do that in a way, you know, what incentives do we need? And I think the, the challenge will be, these are, you know, we're, we're trying to, internalize externalities in the marketplace whenever you're addressing sustainability and there's always, right. always that issue of cost, but, um, but it's something we'll, I'm just saying we, you know, I think we have an opportunity to, to have a significant impact in our hobby. And I think sustainability is something we, hopefully it doesn't get marginalized in our, our hobby. Cause I think we, right. we could do um, a lot. You know, one thing that occurs to me as you, as you mentioned that is, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Asmodee has this company that kind of focuses on the recyclable components. Um, is there is there the possibility to hit kind of the economy of scale? Because right now, um, production and board games and miniature games and everything kind of has a habit, right? So when we do a game, we have cubes or we have certain cards or certain types of plastic and certain types of other production processes. But over time, is it possible... Um, because it's harder and it's probably more expensive to use recyclables. But if we sort of collectively as an industry, the sort of spun up our wheels and that became more commonplace, wouldn't the cost of that sort of style of production and the use of those components and everything start to come down as we start to hit like an economy of scale? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And, and I think the evergreen titles are where we should, put our emphasis, okay. you know, try to emphasize, uh, you know, those titles that are selling 20, 50, you know, they're having 65,000 print runs, you know, a ticket to ride. If we could actually, you know, threw that out <laughs> the, day, mm-hmm. the, the person I was talking to it, I said, what if you guys took ticket to ride, just one of your games, this big game and said, okay, we're going to see if we can make it, you know, going to call it a sustainable, maybe we team up mm-hmm. with WWF or someone else do some branding, get some benefits there, maybe target, make an exclusive, uh, hype the sustainability side, but actually really, you know, focus on one product. I mean, they already have the cutting edge with Ticket to Ride. It's produced by Ludifact, all the cardboard. They do send in, uh, you know, all the trains come from China. But, uh, you know, Ludifact currently has two lines of publishing, uh, of, of, of manufacturing. They have sort of conventional uh paper and then they have their certified you know more sustainable paper but i think you know those evergreen titles to your point in the the you know we could learn a lot uh given you know the scale of those are being produced at you know those would be a first idea of a place to to start to test again it puts a lot of that in asmodee's court which i'm not yeah we can say whether we're uh, comfortable having it led by one right yeah so somebody's gonna somebody would probably have to sort of be the guinea pig, right, to to make that first leap with what you said, like a, a large scale production, like a ticket to ride or something. Yeah. Yeah, and this and and the sweet in the pot would be to have I mean most of these companies uh that engage in sustainability initiatives and 
uh, come to a WWF or, or begin to move the, towards this direction, it's really because they're, you know, it's not so much, you know, when we think about risk across the company, there's, you know, there is the, the nuts and bolts of like buying the, the input, you know, buying the wood and then producing your game and, you know, looking at your, making sure you're in the, you know, black in terms of that. But there's also other factors that come into play and, and reputational risk is the biggest one around sustainability. It's, it's the short, you know, the license to operate. Um, and, and those sort of intangibles around those risks in terms of either future legal risks and where you're sourcing, the reputational risk in terms of who's, you know, going to buy it or not buy it, which markets you have access to. Those are real costs too, even though they, they aren't the same as, oh, if I get a sustainable, you know, and it becomes the calculation of like, oh, maybe it costs an extra mm-hmm. so much to get more sustainable, you know, to produce a sustainable game, but you may see this, you know, other benefit on the other side and in terms of your mm-hmm. overall mm-hmm. picture. So I think companies are looking at it quite sophisticatedly across. And I think if a, uh, if an Asmodee did put, partner with a, you know, this is why, you know, you come to a, a, a you know, a big NGO that has a conservation brand, and you got Target. I could see a, a match made in heaven to, with a lot of players seeing right. it, getting excited. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain. So yeah, my, I mean, there's definitely a marketing is. angle there, and I mean, I feel like I would say, well, heck, I'd buy a copy of Ticket to Ride if they did something like that, just because. Um, uh, there's a there's a comment or a question in the chat here from Philip, and I think I want to kind of bring it in because it it ties in with this. And he says, "What percentage of evergreens make up the sales market?" Um, my understanding is that most of the sales market is the evergreens because you have your ticket to ride, your terraforming Mars, your Catans, Magic the Gathering, you know, all of the big hitters. And uh, Marty, I mean, you follow this, I think, a little bit more than I do, but that's my understanding is the vast majority of games sold actually are those evergreens. But I don't know for sure. I mean, I'm kind of hazily picking out a statistic there. Yeah. I sure yeah, I mean, couldn't. I, I couldn't quantify okay. that at all, so I'm not sure. I think I've heard Bonacore and others state that you know the evergreen allows you to produce your exactly. other games, basically. And you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times it flips the capital to do those other games and, and experiment. But if you just look at all the acquisitions mm-hmm. that Asmodee has made, um, they're going after an evergreen, not the public. Right. And and you can look at even when they peeled off uh, when you know Kobe Docs peeled off the Plathead games. He wasn't able to keep those ever, you know, he's he's rebooting Summoner Wars, but yeah, he, he did. also has yeah, those absolutely. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think it must have been uh, maybe a Board Game Insider podcast or something where I have recently heard that, like, you you have, you have sell 50,000, 100,000 copies or whatever of Terraforming Mars, so you can print 20,000 of your other eight games. Um, so... But I don't know holistically if you look at the whole industry because there's got to be you know a thousand board game publishers. Uh, if you add it all up across the board like that, how it would look. My my suspicion is, and maybe somebody watching this later or something might come in and comment. Um, my suspicion is it's 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 got to be largely evergreens, but you know I'm not 100 percent sure. But that's a good question. Well, I mean I know that I I keep up with uh, there's a website called ICV2 right. that does their quarterly. Um, uh, charts of what sold well in the past quarter and, and when it comes to board games the the same ones are there six of the six or seven of the tens always ticket to ride and Catan. now it's terraforming mm-hmm. mars wingspan and uh, they're mm-hmm. always there in the top 10 so i bet if you sum all those up together 
it's it's got to be double digit, you know, oh, market. Yeah. I would think. Yeah, easily. Yeah, and so. Yeah, they almost become like high paying high paying rental property yeah. that you can just maintain, and allow you to go off and do your other stuff too. You know, mm -hmm, um, yeah. do new things. But it keeps your it keeps yeah, your liquid absolutely. a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think that's really uh, a great point, Joel. Uh, the, I think that's an opportunity to, to see if we can find some new solutions. And like you said, with Panda, um, Panda seems, you know, they're doing a lot of the major Kickstarters. Uh, that's where we're starting to see, I, I don't know how we think of Kickstarters in the, the way of, of, uh, Evergreens, I guess over time they don't have, they don't raise as much money, but it's still a pretty big. You know, I, I don't know the number of units. What's the largest number of units that, that would a be, Kickstarter that would be, uh, that be Gloomhaven? Exploding, exploding Gloomhaven? Kittens. Or no, yeah. Kittens. Exploding Kittens. Exploding Kittens was oh. a ton, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what, what was the total? I would total? have I to uh, get on my phone and look that up. Uh, okay. I just know a ticket to ride when, when they were telling me that their print runs that they put in and they stagger them and why he was saying it was so difficult to... You know, you're trying to get all these pieces to come together and you have a system that's already up and running and, and to, to bring more sustainable principles right. in, it's, it's difficult. Uh, you know, it's like trying to jump on a ship that's moving. Um, but yeah, he was, it was like $70,000, 70,000 units, I think is what he was right. saying, is like a, a print run, our new print run. for Exploding Kittens in 2015 had 219,000 right. backers. Wow, okay. and it's still and that's a Kickstarter that yeah. still is in production. So they they're they're not doing Kickstarters, but they're still producing that game, and it yeah, right. And right. it's become an evergreen right. for other titles. I mean that, that yeah. yeah, I think that's it's my you know my suspicion is that the number of evergreens to come out of Kickstarter is probably equal to the number of evergreens to come out of not Kickstarter. Um, I have no basis in reality of that, but. I did. I did a study of like my my the own games that I've reviewed question. and stuff coming out of Kickstarter versus not over the years, and that, that sounds <laughs> no, really we're doing, scientific, Joel. Yeah. You, know, you should you should get, you should get on that one. Right? Yeah, that's probably up your alley. But that would be interesting. You know, how many evergreens yeah. since Kickstarter started? What's the rash ratio of an evergreen going to started from Kickstarter versus? That, that'd be tough because Kickstarter hasn't been around as long. Yeah. I'd probably have to start around like two thousand. Uh, 12 or 13 or 14 or something and then go from there you can control yeah. it for the same period um, yeah. but the only reason i say that is my little sort of uh guesstimate there is because i a while ago i went back i actually did this twice uh, since i started reviewing games because if people used to say oh so many crap games come out of kickstarter versus the real world and i went through and kind of looked at all the games that i had uh that i'd seen that were kickstarters versus others that weren't and it was about the same percentage of games i thought were in my opinion good games versus bad games. And I would say it was about like, you know, 25% of them were, I would call bad. And where 75% of them were at least good, you know, maybe they weren't the greatest thing in the world, but, um, and it seemed to match up to me across the board. So to me, I was trying to figure out if it was, a, if there was a myth that Kickstarter games were, were somehow significantly worse than non Kickstarter games. And just in, with my own personal assessment, which is completely subjective, of course, um, they seem to be about the same. <laughs> so that would, yeah. Well, not, especially not now when you're talking about a lot of larger publishers yeah. are going to Kickstarter with what you feel would, would have been a very good game anyway. That's um, a good point. Yeah. You, you know, a prime example, uh, Portal Games just took, you know, Robinson Crusoe, who did amazing 
they probably didn't have to go. It was yeah. game found instead of Kickstarter, but they probably didn't have to go that route. So you got a lot of companies. It's like this is probably going to be a big hit, and we're really going to you know punch it up by putting it on Kickstarter game found so mm-hmm. that more eyes can even see it. Do you guys think we're hitting like a? I, mean, I feel like uh, Hollywood and, and the film industry has kind of hit this. You know, we're getting reprints. You know, re, you know, you're seeing you know old titles get remade. And, you know, there's not as much new stuff. And I mean, like Disney's constantly, you know, now taking all their animated and, re, you know, creating new. Do we see that in board game now where we're just, like, is it becomes, you know, we just got to recreate the same game. And, you know, I mean, Robinson Crusoe is one example, but um, where we're just seeing every year it's going to be, you know, these new, I guess the second right. edition or the third edition. Uh, but I, I feel like that's, that's becoming much more lucrative yeah. than it was in the past. Well, yeah. it's, it's a low risk in the episode that we just mm-hmm. released. We covered three. Re- I didn't realize at the time, but we covered three re-releases. Spartacus, which came out like 2012 or, or whenever that was. Ashes and uh, Summoner Wars. So those games we just covered, all three yeah. have been just re-released. And pretty soon it's going to be uh, you know, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Is, uh, yeah, yep. I think the frequency getting... of new editions is increasing. Again, that's anecdotal, um, but I, I've heard that sentiment sort of bandied about over the last year or two. It seems like the you know the second edition, the deluxe edition, uh, the whatever is is increasing. I mean, I just reviewed a game after the Empire. I think I put the review out last week, and um, they uh, they released on GameFound this week. Um, I actually had the review in the canon. I reached mm-hmm. out to the publisher. I says, "Hey, I've got this, but you know, I'm trying to. I try to stagger my you know release schedule." And I said, "Oh, I'm doing this show here that we're on right now." And they said, "Why don't you put it out on Friday? Because we're going out on GameFound." I'm like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> and then, so I looked, and they're doing this really cool deluxe edition. And I was like, "Wow, I wish I had that one." <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that game just and, came out after the Empire. Just they do. like, yeah. And, and I, but I'm going to oh, say no. I, no, I no, have no yeah. issue with that. I mean. It's not. It's not like um, you, you talked about Hollywood. Hollywood's different, where they're not taking the original and touching it up. Lots of times it's they're taking better. a story <laughs> and, and redoing it with different people. Yeah. That's different. But you know, the, all three that I just talked about, maybe were redone and, and tweaked a little bit. But it, I, I don't mind it because there's a lot of games in the past I never got to play. Uh, like last year, I never played Tammany Hall. And a new version came out of that last year. It's like, wow, man, I did miss this good game. I, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of games over the years that I just missed, and they were hard to get. Uh, another one that was just announced from Gale Force Night, Tyrants of the Underdark. It's one of those, I loved it when it came out, then it kind of went away, and they're bringing it back. So there's a lot of new people in the hobby, but I think it is a little bit different than Hollywood, where it's just taking an idea and an right. old idea and just, you know, the Ghostbusters right. 2, or, or, you know, just, you know, hey, we're going to do Ferris Bueller's Day Off, except with brand new actors right. and everything. It's like, no, please right. don't. But that's Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, and I wasn't trying to, yeah, that was a bad, and I, I mean, the reissue part was what I, but uh, I do think the reissues in the, the board game hobby, either it's a, a, a title that's not widely available, or it's got high scale prices, and so it's, it's out of print, and, and if they do bring it back, that that's totally fine. That, that makes a lot of sense. And they're often well, think, been tweaked and improved. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it is. is yeah, I think there's 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 a there's yeah. a kernel of a point there because, like you said, anybody can go back and watch Ferris Bueller. Like there's no there's no print run on that because it's a movie. Um, whereas Marty, you're right. So if you miss Tammy Hall or you miss a game and it's not in print, 
well, you're not going to be able to get after it. So just having a new print run or a new edition isn't necessarily like rehashing an old idea. It's just like, hey, this was a great idea. We need to get it to more people. Uh, you know, Tammy Hall is a fantastic example mm-hmm. um, that a game, I think when it came out, it had less than 500 copies in the initial, initial run. And then they reprinted it back in 2012, a little bit more. And now they reprint it again. And it's, it's definitely a unique game. And I was sad to see that Z-Man, as well as um, uh, Grail Games, have both decided not to reprint a bunch of the Reiner Knizia classics that they have. So I assume that those licenses will lapse. And those oh, are, yeah. in, a lot of those are, in my opinion, great games. Um, but the reason I'm sort of dovetailing off of this is because I wonder if part of the sustainability issue in the hobby is that whole scattershot, let's print a billion different games. I mean, Stephen Bonacore came up earlier. He's been pretty vocal about this. Where if you roll back five years or so, the strategy of the Evergreen, uh, well, called the Evergreen strategy, was to print 20 games and hope you, one of them was an Evergreen. That would help cover the cost of the others that didn't do so hot. And then that one would go into your pipeline. You'd have an Evergreen, you know, in perpetuity. And they keep doing that every year, you know, 20 games, 20 games, 20 games. So that creates a lot of waste in a lot of different ways, if you want to look at it that way. Although the, there should be some other good games in there to enjoy. But um, I wonder if a shift in the hobby to focusking on, you know, I, I, don't, I hate even saying this out loud because I hate stifling creativity. But if there could be a focus more on, like, let's just print the really good stuff. You know, I don't know if that's if that would sort of help the, the environmental footprint. It would help you know, reviewers sanity because there wouldn't be a million games coming out every year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there will be a, yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah. I think the million games coming out makes it hard too. I mean, there's, there's such good games that come out that, I mean, it's hard to get that evergreen or be that title. And I, I think the scattershot, everybody's doing that. And like you said, there's a thousand mm-hmm. publishers. And so I don't know, what is there? 3,000, 4,000, yeah. 5,000. And they can be really decent games. I mean, how many games have you probably reviewed in your podcast that, you know, the month later, you're like, that game was good, but oh, no yeah. one's talking about it. <laughs> like, no oh, one's. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the publishers probably feel that as well. And it's like, I got a, I got this brand set in here that, you know, I can make it better. I can, you know, gussy it up. And I know it's got an audience, just like an, right. an, an expansion. But now it's. It's expansions of the base game. I mean, these reissues, I don't know if they're more common than they have been, but it makes total sense to me if I was running a, if I had one of those in my portfolio. And I think that's kind of what Sentinels, you know, kind of, you know, mentioned, like, you know, this is where we make, we we wanted to walk away, but it's where we're making our our money, you know, for... Or or if not re-releases, obviously FFG is really good at making new additions. Uh, you know, Arkham Horror has been around for decades and now they're what on the what third edition. Uh, so you take something that's very popular, has been evergreen, tweak it, new edition, put it out. Oh, yeah. So it's not you a total have, re-release, but you have evergreen rule books or evergreen mechanics, I think, like with the yeah. zombie sides or there with the, uh, all the, uh, dungeon crawls in a sense have become, uh, you know, that's been used across platforms, but, but, but definitely, yeah, read. You know, Imperial, Imperial Salt, Lord of the Rings. I don't know how many journeys in the Lord. I have a bunch of, you know, FFG. Uh, I live right next to FFG, actually. But, um, but yeah, I got a bunch of their uh, 
you know, basically the same mechanics, but tweaked, but, but, but it's pretty subtle. And I don't know if I think that's bad. I mean, if I really like that game and I want to have a slightly different theme on it, or yeah, it's, yeah. it's still just as fun. Okay. Well, this has been a great talk. Uh, um, you know, Derek, like, like I said earlier, I really appreciate you coming on and Marty as well. Um, it's been definitely educational for me. We're getting a lot of good feedback here in the chat, which is nice. Um, I appreciate everybody in the chat as well coming on and, and giving your questions and your feedback. Uh, it's kind yeah, of a, yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of a off the beaten path here for, uh, you know, for the channel and I think in general, but, uh, so anyway, I appreciate everybody involved. And, uh, like I said, I'm a science dork and this kind of stuff is just interesting to talk about and, and, uh, and just think about, and maybe, you know, you know, maybe if somebody gets a hold of this at asthma day or, or days of wonder, whoever, and they can, you know, think critically about maybe making a shift, like you said, or some kind of leap or some, maybe something we haven't even covered here or thought about. Um, I, I just, I'm curious about that and how, how feasible well, it'll that be is. A bottom up, yeah. Yeah. It'll be a bottom up movement. You know, I mean, us as consumers and then, you know, I, I think, you know, those immediate, uh, the retailers as well are going to have a pretty big play, but right. Right. Um, yeah. Those NGOs and working with target, like you mentioned at the very beginning, I think could yeah, be a okay. big driving force. And I think it just to kind of maybe try to put a pin in that is like, I mean, cause I'm just kind of imagining the sort of messaging and the marketing impact and, and just the, the, the after effects, if they came out and said, Hey, guess what? Ticket to ride starting in 2023 or something is going to be a green game or something. I hate that word, but you know, it's, do you good. think we could use Lego plastic for the trains? Those trains are pretty hard. Sure. Or I mean, we could get know. Lego. They could get Lego to make the train. So they could be little Lego uh bricks <laughs> yeah and they can hook together or something there could be some uh they could ride with lego train buildable component the lego block. yeah yeah Aphidate, ring me up <laughs> <laughs> so um hey guys. well i really appreciate yeah. you guys as well you, i just think i want to say it's just uh yeah i, I listened to both of you. i've been in the hobby for like 15 years but since you guys both came on the scene and, and you know it's just been you guys put out quality content. I don't know how you do it constantly. And well, thanks, Derek. Marty and Tony, the humor. I mean, gosh. I mean, I almost want to go out and buy a, a lawnmower. <laughs> Tony, uh, um, it's it's getting to be spring up there, right? You got to mow the grass. I don't have much of a yard, but uh, <laughs> you know, he's got me. Yeah, I love it. But uh, and I, Thank yeah, you. he makes me think of moon pies every time I. Yeah. I grew up with moon pies and RC colas in Kentucky, and so uh, that's where it's at. Anyway, appreciate you guys. No, awesome. Thanks, Derek. We'll see you guys, you guys will you. not believe what I'm going to do right after I get done with this. I'm going to go mow my lawn. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, but uh, we, we did mention that uh, we might talk a little bit of uh, Falcon and Winter Sol Soldier. Um yeah. But uh, Derek, uh, Derek, Derek is not caught up, so I want to be careful about spoiling. I know Marty and I we caught up to the last latest episode here, just to kind of epilogue this this show here with Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, well, maybe what we do okay. is wait till you after the finale it. on Friday, then have a full discussion. Well, there you go. We should do that. Why not? Okay, I would. I would be. Let's do that. Let's just wait for that, and then uh, we can. Uh, corner out a little bit of time i will say that i have been going back and watching all of the old mcu movies and it the way they put that stuff together like when i watched the first avenger the first captain america movie i mean i had to get i got like slightly 
verklempt because I was like, oh my gosh, look at this, look at this kernel that they carried all the way through, even into Falcon and Winter Soldier across the Infinity War and all that stuff. And I'm like, these guys are just talk about the long haul. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's good stuff. I'm into that. <laughs> okay, guys. Enough uh, geeking out. So anyway, thanks everybody for jumping on. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. And thanks again, Derek. Um, so have a good day. And uh, <laughs> definitely reach out to publishers if you can. And just, you know, uh, express your thoughts there. But uh, thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Yeah.